Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for today is the wonderful story of the conversation between Jesus and the rich young man. This story, you know, features prominently in the writings of our current Pope, both as Pope and as a professor of moral philosophy. Over and again, the Pope returns to this story because he sees it as an exemplification of the Christian moral life. In fact, if you look in the Pope's great encyclical, Veritatis Splendor, the lengthy opening section of that letter is an analysis of this story. There are, I think, three things the Pope wants us to see as relevant to the Christian moral life in this story, and I'll make these three things the focus of my homily today. Listen to how the story begins. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man came running up, knelt down before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to share in everlasting life? There's something that is basically right about this young man. He's hungry for eternal life. Look, he's rich. His money has probably provided him with all the basic physical necessities. Most things that we worry about, look for, are taken care of in his case. And yet, beyond those desires, there is a more basic and abiding desire. Not for anything in this world, but for everlasting life. You know what that means? That means a life of intimacy and union with God. It means a life of friendship with God. That's what he wants. And his desire for it is something beautiful. Secondly, he knows where to find it. He comes running up to Jesus. That detail, of course, is beautiful. It shows the eagerness of this young man. And he runs up to the right person, to Jesus himself who is God's own goodness made flesh. And he asks him, what is everlasting life and how do I achieve it? Now you might say, well, that seems pretty obvious. He goes up to Jesus to ask. But look, up and down the centuries, including in our own time, this problem is a very serious one. Because we have a tendency to think somehow our own will, our own choice, is where the good comes from. The basic claim of the Bible is, no, the good has an objective form revealed in Jesus Christ, and it's to that objective form that you must orient your life. 
You know, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, back in the 19th century, spoke of the will to power. What he meant was, the will is basic. Choice is basic. As long as you are exerting your will, you're living life well. Well, our great tradition says no to that. Choice doesn't determine the good. Rather, our choice must be conformed unto the good. You know, something I might have shared with you before, but it's relevant here. There was a ruling by the United States Supreme Court in 1992 in the case of Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Part of the ruling of the court is this. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. I would submit that's breathtaking stuff. Again, at the heart of liberty, my choice, my liberty, is the right to define my own concept of existence. That is Nietzsche's philosophy now expressed in legal terms. My will is supreme. No, says the Bible, in fact, in the book of Genesis, that move is defined as the primordial sin. Adam and Eve seize the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They take to themselves, listen, the prerogative to decide what is good and evil. The Old Testament, the New Testament, and our entire tradition insist it's just the opposite. When we conform ourselves to the objectivity of the good, then our lives are rightly ordered. So the young man, he's got this part of it right on. He seeks the good objectively there in Jesus Christ, and he wants to conform his life to it. Now, how does Jesus answer this spiritually alive question? He says this, You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Lord, what must I do to achieve everlasting life? What must I do to become a friend of God? And Jesus says first, well, follow these commandments, these familiar commandments from the religious tradition. Notice, please, he takes almost all of them from what you call the second table of the Ten Commandments. Those dealing with concrete human behaviors. Notice also, they have, almost all of them, a negative form. Here are certain things that you just have to cut out of your life if you're going to live in friendship with God. Who is God? God is love. Therefore, if you aspire to friendship with God, everlasting life, the first thing you have to do is you have to cut out those behaviors which are egregiously opposed to the ways of love. That's what's being described here. You shall not kill. Look, you want to live in friendship with God. Well, of course you can't be killing people. That's a pretty obvious violation of the way of love. You shall not commit adultery. You can't break your basic commitments. That's a great violation of love. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. These are, call them... The most obvious things, 
that have to be eliminated if you are to live in accord with God's will, in friendship with God. Now, I know, whenever religious people, from Jesus on, start laying out commandments to us, we get nervous. We don't like being told what not to do. Who are you to be imposing your morality on me? All these thou shalt nots. We have a natural rebellion against it, and a lot of it is because of this Nietzscheanism I was talking about, this valorization of the will and choice for their own sake. We don't like having this imposed on us. Can I suggest an analogy? We have a very easy time understanding negative commands when it comes to our physical health. If you were to say, hey, I want to get in better shape, I want to get my body in good shape, well, you go to a doctor. First of all, he'll tell you, there's an objective form here. There are certain things that you have to do to be in physical shape. And first of all, he'll probably give you a number of commands. Well, first of all, you've got to stop smoking. Secondly, you've got to stop eating fatty foods. Thirdly, you've got to stop sitting around. The doctor will tell you, here are basic things you've got to eliminate from your life if you're going to be healthy. Well, what if you were to object and say, well, doctor, you know, who are you to be imposing your will on me? <laughs> He'd say, there's no skin off my nose. Do whatever you want. But if you want to be healthy, here are things you've got to eliminate from your life. So in the spiritual life. So in the spiritual life. You must eliminate all those activities and behaviors that egregiously attack the way of love. They have to be eliminated. Now, a third step, and this is where it gets very dicey. The rich young man has done the right thing. He's come to Jesus. He's sought the objective form of the good. Secondly, he's listened to these commandments. And listen, he says to him, Teacher, I've kept all these from my childhood. Well, okay. He's done the basics. He's eliminated the basic problems. Then, Jesus looked at him with love and told him, there's one thing more you must do. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. After that, come and follow me. He looks at him with love, as if to say, good, good, you've been walking a good path. You've been seeking eternal life in the right way. Following the commands, good, has made you basically fit in the moral sense. But now, now, if you really want to live a life of intimacy and friendship with God, if you're ready for the high adventure of the spiritual life, now I'll tell you how to do it. This is a bit like a doctor saying, okay, you want to be fit? And you've gotten fit. You've eliminated the basic problems from your life. Now you want to run a marathon. Now you want to achieve something very great. So Jesus here, you want intimacy with God, friendship with God, everlasting life. That means a life of radical love. God is the one who gives himself away in love. Not clinging to himself, but giving himself away in love. 
Therefore, what stands in the way of our total participation in that life? Our possessions. All the things that we cling to and depend on. All of our toys, all of our distractions, all of our money, all our material things that we hoard for our security. Jesus is saying, you want full participation in the divine life? You must sell all of that. Give it away as God gives His own being away. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. You'll have, in other words, the eternal life you're looking for. Now here's the sad part of the story. The young man went away sad, for he had many possessions. He couldn't go all the way with the Lord. He couldn't follow this last and most demanding command. We want to live in God's way. First, we must seek Him. Not resting in our own will, our own choice. We must seek Him. Secondly, we must eliminate from our lives those egregious forms of behavior that attack the ways of love. Thirdly, we must be willing to embark upon the high adventure of the spiritual life, giving it all the way as God gives it all the way. Just a last comment. Is this all too much? It seems too demanding. Listen to the last thing Jesus says. As the disciples say, Lord, then who can be saved? Who can follow such a demanding program? The Lord says, for man it's impossible, but not for God. With God all things are possible. The bottom line in this whole process, surrender your life to the grace and the mercy of God. That's the path of eternal life in a nutshell. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Puzzled by school meal programs? Let FSP help you put the pieces together. How? FSP offers healthy, student-tested breakfast, lunch, and snack plans, fresh from our kitchens each day. Quality, service, affordability, that's what FSP has offered since 1970. To take advantage of this program, call us at 773-385-5103. FSP, we're more than a school food service.